The New Testament reading this morning is Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 through 26, which can be found on page 973 of your Pew Bibles. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying this, a sign came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch this cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd of people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But he laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Tony. I'm married to Jen. We're co-pastors here. And I get to lead us further into Genesis 12 this morning. Um, I invite you to uh, join me in prayer. Let's pray. God, you are the God who in Genesis 1 spoke worlds into existence. And you are the God whose speech continues to create and bring life out of dead and hopeless spaces. And so we pray now that your speech, that same speech that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, would raise our weary hearts yet again today. For we need you, Jesus. We pray this in your good name. All God's people pray. Amen. 
So we are in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Genesis, you probably know, is the first book of our Bible. Uh, You may or may not know that Genesis is made up of two very clear parts, chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 50. And uh, the great Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, perhaps our, our greatest living Old Testament scholar in the world today, says this about uh, this break between the last verse of chapter 11 and the first verse of chapter 12. He says this, perhaps, he says this break is perhaps the most important structural break in the entire Old Testament. He says chapters 1 through 11 give us the history of humanity and chapters 12 through 50 the history of of Israel, or we might say the history of the curse and the history of the blessing. And so it's interesting then uh, in his commentary, you know, commentators split up the, the scriptures and their commentaries on, on units that they decide this is its own unit, this is its own unit. And he has our, our passage not beginning in 12.1, but in chapter 11, verse 30. Across this break that he says is perhaps the most important structural break in the Old Testament. And so I read that a, a few days ago and quickly changed the, the scripture passage, even though the lectionary has this beginning in 12.1, to take us back, but he says it's important to hear the context of, of the mighty new work that God is doing. I, uh, I watched this week, you may remember the, the Bible Project videos, if you've been around here a few years, we, we used those a lot a few years ago in our People of the Book, uh, a year through the Bible series. And in this video, they, they, they show uh, the, these videos, they're, they're scholars talking about you know, the outline, and they, they bring in these different graphics and drawings to help you visualize what's happening. And the visual they use for the first part of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, is, you know, it starts God in the beginning, uh, God speaks creation into existence, and then you've got Adam and Eve, there's paradise, the Garden of Eden, and then sin enters, and then there's Cain and Abel, and the story, the graphic they use is just this downward spiral from chapter 1 and 2 to 3 to 4 to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, until the end of that first part ends in these words. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. The story, just, the story of humanity just gets worse and worse. It descends until we're in the age of Noah and the horrific things that are happening and then the Tower of Babel, and then we get this genealogy that takes us all the way to this Terah, the father of Abram, and then Abram and Sarai and childlessness. Brueggemann says this, this family, and with it the whole human family of Genesis 1-11, through 11, has played out its future and has nowhere else to go. 
He goes on, barrenness is the way of human history. It is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There is no foreseeable future and there is no human power to invent a future. And this is the exact place from which the story of Israel, the story of the blessing begins. Uh, It's not hard for many of us to connect with this spirit of hopelessness these days. Uh, Jen mentioned and we're praying for our, uh, our denomination's annual meeting, which is happening right now, which we call Synod. Uh, if you're not familiar with the, the Christian Reformed Church. And for, for many of us, the decisions of last year's synod uh, to define our unity on one view of human sexuality and the implications of that and the potential over the next few days of our tradition to either double down on that or walk that back. For many of us, the CRC right now in our, in our lesser moments feels like perhaps a family that has played out its future and has nowhere else to go. I found myself this week, uh, we were talking with a friend, Jen and I, about maybe getting together some night next week and we were about to put it in the calendar and I was like, well, we should maybe wait and see if, depending on what happens this week, if we need to have another lament service spontaneously like we did last year during Synod. And this friend said, or maybe we'll have a service celebrating uh, the spontaneous miracle of the movement of God at Synod. And, and I... I want to hope for that. I'm praying for that. But for many of us, our hearts are weary, and again, sometimes it feels like the writing's on the wall already. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next few days, and we don't know how we're going to respond because we don't know what's going to happen. I I read of one, uh, I don't remember if it's the classes leadership team, said we're going to pray Whatever happens, we're going to pray for the next 40 days after Synod before we, we move. Reading the news this week, uh, pictures of New York City on Wednesday, the orange glow from the, all the, the Canadian wildfires. It's this, this vivid picture of the effects of climate change and I met Thursday night with our anti-racism team, and as we continue here at Sherman Street, the ongoing work of living faithfully in the face of the evil legacy of white supremacy, a legacy I'm learning more and more is not just a legacy that exists somewhere out there, but is a legacy that exists here in the history and the present circumstances of Sherman Street Church, a legacy that rages in my own heart and that won't be solved in our lifetime. And I know just for many of you, you 
are at a point where you, you're facing things in your own life circumstances, professionally or maybe in your marriage, your home life. You're trying to be a good father or mother or parent, perhaps in a friendship. There's no shortage of things to look around and to despair over, to be tempted towards hopelessness. But it's this moment that the God of Genesis 1, who speaks worlds into creation, and the God of Genesis 12, who extends a new call through that same powerful speech, it's into this moment that the God who resurrects Jesus from the dead calls us and empowers our response. I, I was struck this week, there's something I've never thought about, but the, the inherent power in the speech of God when God calls. I've always read this story, which begins, 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, go. He calls Abram, or as we know him, uh, as he's, after he's renamed Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. He calls them to go into this uncertain future. And I've always kind of heard that uh, as, you know, God calls us, God says, this would be good for you to do, you should do this, but with this sense of the burden is on us, the, uh, the, to somehow muster something us, something uh, within us to, to respond to the call in any way that's going to make substantial change in the world. And to be, to be sure, the call requires faith. That's quite a big theme in the scriptures and in the New Testament. The role of faith. But I was struck this week by the fact that the power, even that enables our faith, is all in the mighty speech of God. That same speech that speaks worlds into creation, that same speech that raised Jesus from the dead. The power is already in the call. And so when we heed the call and respond, we're not depending on our own strength to muster a response. Brueggemann again says this, this God does not depend on any potentiality in the one addressed. Remember, Abraham and Sarah are in their 80s at this point. They, they are beyond childbearing years. He says, The speech of God presumes nothing from the one address, but carries in itself all that is necessary to begin a new people in history. The power of the summoning word is without analogy. In the remainder of the text, I don't know if he's talking about just this chapter, the Abrahamic text, 25, or the whole of Scripture, but I think that applies too. The remainder of the text is simply the announcement that the speech of God overcomes and overpowers the barrenness of human reality. Can I get an amen for that? And so the story of blessing begins in 12.1 with the Lord said, 
I, uh, I've been reading Margaret's, uh, Margaret's book this week. Where did she go? Oh, there you are. Hi, Margaret. Um, and I, I've been struck by when Margaret felt the call of God to, to start an orphanage in Kenya among these severely, this, these children with severe disability, she knew about as much uh, about starting an orphanage as I do. <laughs> I mean, she had some skills that transfer from her work with, you know, her 20 years uh, as a missionary and working for the denomination. But like she said, when she first stood up, this is my home. She hadn't been in, she hadn't lived in Kenya for over 20 years when she, when she heeded God's call 10 years ago. And just in her story, if you read her book, figuring out where to get beds and licensing. And some of you who have lived with severe disability or have children who are living with severe disability, you know how hard that is to care for one person. She's got 24. And how to find staff and how to, she had to train her. There's a quote in her book I love. Towards the beginning of the book, she quotes someone else. Saying, God does not call the equipped, but instead equips the called. She, she first said yes to the call of God before she knew the, the how or the where or the any of it. Just like God called Abraham to go. And Abraham and Sarah said yes before they knew where they were even going. Paul uh, talks about the faith, this radical faith of Abraham and Sarah in Romans chapter 4. And he says this, he says, he's talking about the God, you know, the section where he talks about God crediting his faith to him, his righteousness. This is how he described the God in whom Abraham believed. He said, God, the God in whom Abraham believed as one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That is the God who is still calling today. That is still calling each and every one of you and the Christian Reformed Church and the white American church throughout America. God continues to call with a speech that has power and can bring new things out of nothing. Life where there is barrenness. The God who can raise Jesus from the dead. And if you're like me, you, yeah, at this point, you're like, yeah. But what happens when, when people don't respond? What happens if Synod doesn't respond to the call of God to do a new thing? What if my kids, what if our church, what if, what if I, what if I don't have the faith 
to like Abraham in verse four to go. Abraham went. And uh, that's the question, isn't it? That's really the tension that drives the whole rest of the story. What happens when a covenant God who has made promises and called a family, a people, to be blessed, not for their own sake in and of itself, but that they might bless the whole world, lead all of creation back into shalom, into flourishing. What happens when that, that promise and that God who keeps God's promises meets a people who, if we're honest, aren't very consistent in our faith and have never been? Well, the answer to that is Jesus. However you, you splice it, the answer is Jesus. Who will rescue us? Jesus. What is God going to do about this? Jesus. How? Through the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But where is this Jesus? Well, he's praying for us even now at the right hand of the Father. And he's here with us now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Nearer to us than we are to ourselves, as Augustine said. But when, when will this redemption come? When Jesus returns, bringing his kingdom in full. Why? Because of the wonderful love of Jesus. That's the reason why. That's This whole story points to the grace of God because we have earned it or we get it right, but all because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm encouraged uh, as I start to wrap up here. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Uh, I heard a a televangelist televangelist woman once. um, I don't watch a lot of televangelists. (laughs) I remember it was years ago, uh, back when we had a TV, remember TVs? And uh, she would like flip through a passage and she would go, as she was finding her passage, her like kind of filler was. Ooh, I just love God's word. Uh, my filler I just found out is do 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 do. There you go. Do we do do do? I'm so encouraged by it. even in the the Hebrews 11, right? The heroes, the great Hall of Fame, history of faith. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith, right? And, and we know these are broken people who, just like us, are not consistent in their faith, right? There's plenty of stories of Abraham handing his wife over to other men to protect himself, to doubting God's promise, even though God talked to him 
God, it's been 15 years. Is this kid still coming? Of, of Sarah, why don't, why don't we uh, have you impregnant Hagar? Just so we can kind of hedge our bets in case this promise doesn't go through. Right there's and Moses, like, they're like us, these heroes of the faith. And then I love the last lines of Hebrews 11. These were all commended, all these heroes of faith, were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Is that incredible? Maybe that's discouraging for you, but for me, that's, this is the way it's always been. We are, we don't get to see what God is doing God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah reminds us. Faith, by definition, is stepping out, not always getting to see the ways that God is using each one of our small acts of faith to build God's kingdom. And so, it's faith. That's why they call it faith. But God, and I've seen this too many times to be able to doubt it, God continues to call, and when we say yes to the call, new life happens. I want to pray now, and just uh, as, as we pray, and then we'll celebrate the sacrament of communion here in a, in a minute, but... Uh, want you throughout the next moment and in our time around this table to be wrestling with the question, God, what are you calling me to right now? And for some of you, that might be something small. Maybe it's to say sorry for being crabby to the person you came here with today. Which sometimes is quite a big thing, actually. But maybe it's to to leave behind a career or something from your past and to step out in faith, trusting in the promises of God and the power and the call of God into an uncertain future. But, but to ask, God, what are you calling me to? Let's pray. Lord, uh, every day and every moment you you speak. And sometimes we we pause long enough to hear that speech and sometimes we don't. Lord, help us to hear your call. For we confess that we are so often hard of hearing. And give us the faith to say yes to whatever you call us to as you sweep us up in this work of blessing. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. All God's people pray.